Yeah, we're on. It's the, uh, <clears throat> what do we call this? The community episode? Something like that. Yeah. So we've got a, 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 a Zoom. <laughs> wow. What is that? <laughs> we have a, a Zoom room full of people and a very squeaky door next door, apparently. Was that here? I think so. Okay. Unless that was coming from someone else. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, so a lot of, a lot of people on, um, it's the first time we've done this, but I've wanted to do it for a while. Like, and I didn't know how, but I guess Zoom, Zoom is like the de facto way to, uh, we've all been forced to figure out how to do kind of these virtual conferences. Pretty much. Including my kids. Which I think that's a perfect segue to, uh, the thing I think we're all wanting to know is how's Salesforce going to handle Dreamforce? Well, I mean, is there a Dreamforce? Is there a Dreamforce without you actually going somewhere? Like, is a conference a conference without you actually going? I think Benioff says no, apparently. I kind of agree with him. I mean, I think the whole idea of a conference is that in-person meetup, the, the face-to-face, the, that kind of personal interaction. The virtual thing just doesn't seem as personable. And, and, and a lot of the times it ends up just being... I, uh, I get it. So what I'm going to say is going to sound wrong, but it seems like an excuse to, to just kind of do a bunch of pre-canned video instead of, you know, live sessions. But I get it because you got to kind of fit within a time frame and keep things moving, but you don't get, you don't get so much of that organic feel. You like that organic feel, don't you, John? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm surprised. I'd be surprised if they didn't do the online thing because I think like TDX was was a dry run of it. It's, it's, you know, let's, Hey, let's test out this, these technologies that we'll use to do this. And maybe they didn't like the way it worked though. Maybe they didn't like the response they got. Um, but yeah, well, so chat was a problem and the trolling in the chat was a problem. The, oh, the LinkedIn vultures. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now was the, um, the, what was this? Oh, it was a CRN article, right? That Benioff says, or he hints at no dream force. He just said, uh, but there's no, oh, yeah. Dreamforce is obviously a critical brand for Salesforce, but there's no Dreamforce this year. He told the, did you read that? By the way, I sent you that, the information article. I didn't read it. God, John, what do you subscribe to that thing for? If you don't, I know it's expensive, isn't it's it? It's expensive. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I knew there's some homework I forgot to do. I, I would have been, I would be surprised if they don't do something, but maybe not. Well, I think they have to do something. I mean, you can't just not do something. Why not? Well, uh, I mean, you gotta, you gotta, gotta keep the PR machine going, right? <laughs> I mean, that, and it's just, it's. I mean, Salesforce has never not done Dreamforce. I mean, I can remember Dreamforces from, I don't know when they started them, but I remember back like two thousand four, I think. Yeah. And to be honest, one, I'd never thought about this that way, really. But I mean, he just came out and called it a brand. It's a very important brand for us. Well, I mean, at the same time, it, it is kind of a, I hate using this word, new normal. We all kind of got to navigate this. This thing is lasting a lot longer than probably any of us were hoping it would. And so we're having to figure this out. We're having to figure out schools. We're having to figure out conferences. We're having to figure out work life and all that kind of stuff. Because I'm trying to, I have the battle of the internet uh, bandwidth at home with freaking me on a Zoom, my kids on a Zoom, just everyone's on a Zoom at the same time. So it's fun. Yeah. By the way, I just put everyone in gallery view. That's much better. You can... Uh, oh, you didn't do that? No, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know. What do you guys think? What do you guys think about Dreamforce, virtual Dreamforce? I mean, I think they're going to do it. 
uh, or at least the virtual aspect of it. And I think it's going to be probably a good dry run because I highly doubt they're going to do Dreamforce next year as well with how long this is lasting. So um, I think they're going to do it. They're going to have to do it to keep that brand at least in the, in the public eye. Otherwise, this is going to fall off. Um, so they're probably going to do something, even if it diminishes a little bit of the overall theme of Dreamforce, but I think they're still going to do something just to keep it going. Yeah. I'd be surprised if they didn't do something, but World Tours has stopped, right? There's no World Tour events. They were the machine for a long time, too. So I would think they'll do something virtually, but if Benioff is saying no, it's hard to hard to argue with that, right? The planning that's got to go into that, like, they got to announce that pretty soon. Yeah. What do you guys think about all the... Because they, they've kind of in place of all the world tours and things like that, they've kind of increased their streaming. So just about every, every day you could go to dream or go to Salesforce and find some kind of streaming demo and content like that. Yeah. The trailhead live has picked up a lot. <clears throat> I think the trailhead live thing, that's a, that's a good way to keep people not engaged, but just feeling somewhat human again, just seeing, you know, that things are still happening. Yeah. Yeah, they they just need better fil- bigger filters and a lot of that stuff. Because uh, try finding a video on there that's not mm-hmm. current. Yeah, yeah, and I haven't I haven't tried. I mean, it's yeah, it's like the most recent things are what is easy to access. Anything that's more in the past becomes more difficult, I guess. Yeah. Do they, are they putting those on their YouTube channel too? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I ask because some of these videos I've tried to watch. I you know when I do get the time to watch them. I usually want to watch them at like a faster speed, but some of these video players don't allow you to watch at a faster speed. And I just can't, I cannot watch humans talk at one X. It's too slow. You know how I am. You know, I'm bad yeah. at this. My wife hates it too. I don't mind. It, it makes me crazy. The embedded player on the Salesforce website is like that. You can't speed it up. And I go nuts. Yeah, that's so bad. That, that you can't my... jump ahead. Yeah, and, and I bet the player supports it. It's probably just an option they have disabled. But I would really recommend them turn, you know, allow you to adjust the playback speed. Do that or just put them on YouTube also so that we can go there and do it. Yeah. Has everyone here been to Dreamforce? Yeah. Show of hands. Yeah. What Pretty do you think most. you would miss out of it being virtual versus in person? Your handsome face. I never go. It's been a while. I went like was last I've been like, like was it twenty fifteen? Five or six times. I think that's enough. When did you last go? Twenty fifteen? Something like that. That's when, when it was when you and you I, and I went. went. Right? Okay. Yeah. 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 And I went what last year, I guess? But uh, yeah, I don't know if I'll it's one of those things it's a work thing. If I have if I have to go for work, then I'll go, but otherwise it's just it's so difficult and expensive. It's you know, it's a victim of its own success. That's the problem. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. As a partner, we just we work the whole time we're there, so there's very, very little downtime. Yeah. Uh, only, only by the grace of Stefan last year, I get a tour of Salesforce Tower. So thanks. No problem. I, I know I usually lose about fifteen pounds the week of Dreamforce for lack of food, lots of walking. So I'll miss out on the weight loss this year. I say I'm the opposite. I spend most of my time in the pub, so I'm eating <laughs> fried food and drinking lots of beer. That's yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's I don't know if that's doing it right or doing it wrong, but that's how I do it. Yeah, McKellar's gone right there. They're a victim. Are they gone? A victim of the COVID. Yeah, 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 they're they're gone. I mean, at least that location. They they got others. Yeah, they have a they built a brewery 
South, somewhere in Southern California, maybe? I can't remember now. Hmm. Not sure. Well, that was a nice spot for us. I know. Uh, we're going to have to find a new one. All right, well. Let's talk about some other stuff. Okay. Um, best practices and flows and triggers. Who added this? I don't know. Because I feel like they should, whoever added this should, uh, should kick it, take off. it off. Yes. <laughs> so can I add one more piece to the last topic? Yeah. Yeah. So TDX is a dry run for Dreamforce in theory, right? The virtual TDX. If you were going to do Dreamforce pattern on TDX, what would you change? Based on the virtual TDX we just saw. Uh, what, switch to Twitch you, for one thing. Twitch? They can handle streaming better. Uh, have better. Well, I don't know about better moderating. It seemed like they were moderating, but it kind of got out of hand for a while. Well, can't. No, they need to turn on Einstein. So Einstein can just remove any of the spam automatically. Okay. But now, now let's be real. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm, I'm being real. <laughs> I mean, if, hey, if we have artificial intelligence, certainly it can just, you can give it a regular expression pattern and anything that looks like a LinkedIn link, just ban that person immediately. That would solve 80% of the problems. Yeah. Right? I guess. No, what annoyed me was the, the obviously the chat, because I did want to use, I did want to read the chat, but it became useless. Um, the video site itself just wasn't all that great. It, I'm not sure how to describe that. No, were you having issues just getting the stream to work? Or yeah, it was, you it, were okay. It I would didn't... work sometimes and work not, and I have to refresh. But I guess I don't know if there's any helping that. I I did not have problems with that. I think the content itself was good. Yeah. Um, I mean, even though some of it was, was it some of it? Most of it was pre-recorded. I think I'm trying to remember. It's kind of escaped my memory, but it was good. It's good content. Yeah. It was kind of hard to find okay. sessions. Like you didn't really like the sessions didn't really match the content. So it was, it was it was very reminiscent of a real conference where you the title and description doesn't really match up, and so you go to it, and then you're like, oh, this isn't what I want. Yeah, and that's why you vote so with you, your feet. You know, you walk out and you so go you walk out and you try to find something mm -hmm. else. Yeah, I think, I think it was a good slapdash. I couldn't find any of the sessions ahead of time by much. Right. Right. Yeah. And it was, it was even kind of hard, hard to find them by speaker. So like if there was someone I really wanted to make sure I went and saw their, their talk, I, it was kind of a little difficult to find them. Either because they weren't listed as the speaker or, or they just wasn't showing up in search or something. So it sounds like mostly these comments are meta, right? Yeah. Right. Being able to tag things, find things, search things. You like the content. Yeah. yeah. I think what Salesforce has going for them is they have everyone's producing good video and everyone has transitioned to it pretty well. I mean, I think, uh, I think everyone speaking there, you know, did the best they could with being on kind of remote video. And I thought they, they owned it pretty well and they kept it pretty entertaining. Nothing came off as extremely cringy or, or just uh, like a complete fail. Like everyone kind of just went, went with the flow with yeah. everything and it all worked. So you're saying, yeah, just make the, you know, the, the conference interface a little bit better, e easier to find things, categorize things, and then just, you know, quality of the stream. Just, yeah. So, so those things were addressed. Do you think that would be sufficient for Dreamforce? Could pull off a good Dreamforce? Virtual Dreamforce? Sure. Yeah. I mean, what else are you going to do? Yeah. It's either that or, or nothing. Just, you know, I, I just think that's so weird. I just, I don't know. I can't, I can't imagine a year without a Dreamforce. I just hope they're not asking for the same level of sponsorship, though. 
Because you don't well, get so they will now. That is one thing that's missing from these conferences. You don't get as much of a footprint of you know, know partners and th- and advertising and things like that. So I hope they're not forcing partners to contribute the same amount, unless they find a way to solve that. Now that there, there will be sponsorships, they they probably will not be as expensive. I mean, even TDX had sponsorships. You they had the area where you you could go talk to the partner. So did they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I we didn't see that. And we've sponsored a couple of recent things not virtual things i I think like higher i think hired summit or did we yeah yeah we did oh that's right yeah so anyway does that answer your question chuck did you have any thoughts on that no i think you covered it really well okay Uh, well it's good it's good to mention our live chat it was the most fun that we had so oh the slack one Yes. Yes. Yeah. Slack has always been the GDS Slack has always been kind of entertaining, even when there's a live conference going on. It for someone who do, doesn't go, like like I don't, it's fun to go in there and read the chat. Yeah, I think that where we was that in the conversations channel. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. that's all. I feel like that's always useful during during events. Yeah, I feel like I've definitely been sitting next to many of you at a conference in a keynote and chatting in the conversations channel while we're all sitting there in person with everyone. Yeah. You can always tell because you'll see a little giggle. (laughs) Is that you giggling, John? Mm. Yeah, that's me. All right. We want to move on to, um, what was it? Best practices for flow and triggers. Yeah. So I, I, let me kick this off with, I had an interesting thing this week. So we, we've heard of process builders getting out of hand and people, uh, I guess, converting them to triggers once they get, yeah. get one, you know, once they kind of outgrow themselves. I had the opposite experience this week. So I'm talking to a client that I hadn't talked with in probably, I don't know, maybe six months. And um, they had taken... I guess they expanded a little bit, but some triggers that, that we had created. Um, but they wanted to expand the scope, and so they just re- essentially, re- and I was talking to them and telling them actually they, need, they probably should just completely replace the triggers that we'd created for them if they're going to go this route. Um, but yeah, they built it all in Process Builder. Not Flow, but Process Builder. Not, yeah, Process Builder. And that's, I, I think that's one of the challenges Salesforce is going to have right now is they've, you know, for the past, what is it, four or five years, they've been hammering Process Builder in everyone's heads. Mm-hmm. And so that's what people know now. I mean, this this person that did this. I mean, I told him I, uh, this this woman. I was like, hey, this is this is actually really. I'm really impressed that you were able to do this because it was it wasn't super complicated, but it also wasn't just trivial. It was, you know, fairly involved for a process builder, and she looked like it looked like she did a good job. Um, mm. But that's the thing she knows now is process builder. She doesn't know flow because she's been told process builder for the past five years. I have had that. Um, where people come to me and say, hey, can you modify this flow? Because I'm lost in it. But they're really good at Process Builder. But they they see the flow and they see a flow with a, you know, just a god-awful number of lines and, and symbols and they kind of would prefer someone like me look at it. Well, yeah, and I, I had not seen that. Um, what's that tool that I guess you can, it'll... I saw someone post that where you can post, Jody. export it to like a document. Yeah. So that's, yeah. I guess it's nice to have like a PDF or some some kind of documented. Yeah, there's a there's a open I think it's open source, but there's a syntax for 
creating flows just by typing out words, and I forgot what it's called. But I would love that for flows. Like English to flow? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> is, that what, is that what it is? I don't know. No, it's, it's, it's some, something. I've, I've always liked it for tools that support it for drawing flow charts and things. Because it makes it easy while you're taking notes to draw flows just by using the syntax. Um, so that would be kind of cool. But in terms of like follow-up, so we were talking about uh, flows and I had a bunch of tips and someone pointed out this, the fault of flows. So there's a line that you can draw that's called a fault line. Now, I didn't, ta I didn't do any formal trails on flows. I've just kind of been learning as I go with flows. I did not realize that when that fault line showed up, that that was a, a line so that you can handle an error or handle the fault. I thought it meant this is invalid syntax in your flow. Get rid of whatever you just did. Oh. So I treated it because it said fault. That's not like, like handle error or something like that, which would make sense to me. It just said fault. So I'm thinking, okay, that's a line I have to get rid of and deal with. And so that's what I've always treated it as. But then I was told, no, that's a way for you to kind of draw a line so that if none of these other conditions and, and you're wanting to handle that exception, you can draw that line and have a new flow path on that. Is it, a, is it just a follow through or is it in like an exception uh, escape? It's always happened to me because I've modified something and the, it became the default. I've never known how to draw a fault line, but in the new editor for flows, you will get the option to say a fault. So the new editor, I think, for flows is going to be a lot better from what I've seen. And it does have the explicit option to say, okay, I'm gonna, I need that fault line so I can do something. But um, it wasn't until that last conversation that I realized that that was something you could do. Yeah, I, mean, I think any uh, improvement on error handling, that, that's to me, and we've talked about this before, but just my, my perceived weakness of some of these drag and drop tools is your ability to construct, even especially if it's like a, you need like a dynamically constructed error message just so that, because stuff goes wrong. So when something goes wrong, you want to give the user or the admin or whoever's going to consume this error message like the best hint at what the problem is. Unlike some of the process builder things that I've been dealing with, I could mm -hmm. get this generic, uh, there's this process builder, I guess, that operates across all these several different objects. And it, you just get a generic message that something's gone wrong. And I know across like account, contact, and opportunity, I, I probably didn't populate something yeah. or didn't populate something right. I just have no idea what. And, you know, in code, it's pretty easy to construct a good error message if you're not super lazy. Mm -hmm. I don't know how it easy is with process builder. It doesn't seem like it'd be as easy. But so flow or whatever the next thing is, I mean, yeah, I, I would think that, you know, error, not, not only you know, the ability to produce good error message, but the, the, but the ability to have, you know, good, um, like, error recovery logic. Like, what if a certain kind of error happens? Is, is there, again, is this, like, fault line thing? Is that, is like, a path you can have it take? Okay, if this type of error happens, then take this path, if, you know, mm -hmm. or whatever. That, that'd be really nice, too. I mean, that's, it's getting closer to parity with the power of code, essentially. Sure. Think, yeah. And but, anybody else have any experiences but, with that? Well, I was going to say, because this is the segment that we call John and Jeremy talk about things that they really don't know what they're talking about. Oh, I know. So this is, this is partly why, you know, know the community show there, they can fill us in here on, on what <laughs> everyone's like biting their tongue. This is, this is possibly also a uh, crossover to the segment called, what was it? The things that we wanted to yell at you or whatever on, <laughs> on previous episodes. So this is your chance. Yeah, especially if you're you're one of the self-proclaimed flow natics. I mean, 
I'm, I'm the I'm the coder. I want to code every my way out of every. Problem. I feel like the term. I feel like Flowdynamic was ahead of its time because that's when Process Builder was still the the thing. No, no, that started was right that when they were just wanting to encourage more flow use. Okay. Because that was right around the time we got the before context, and we're going to get the update con. Well, we have it now, right? We have it now. Yeah. Yeah. No, Flowdynamic has been around for about five years. Um, I have the privilege of seeing one of the Flowdynamics all the time, um, but. Yeah, basically when Process Builder was being pushed, they were pushing flow, seeing that that was going to be more beneficial than what Process Builder is. And to be honest, Process Builder, there was a lot of limitations with it. My biggest issue with Process Builder when it first came out was Salesforce kind of did a poor job of actually telling people how to use the tool, which mm-hmm. led to chaos that is now. Um, in addition, people don't understand actually what's going on with the Process Builder. Um, same thing, same concepts are happening same now with flow. People, they're pushing flow, but people also don't understand what's actually going on behind the scenes with the flow. They understand how to write the flow, but they don't understand what happens when they have three or four flows all in the same object being triggered at the same time. Um, they don't, people are just not aware of what's actually happening there. And I think that's where some of the issues come also along with when you're co-developing with a developer and you have triggers and flows or possibilities uh, at the same time, you just end up stepping on each other's feet. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like we're... <sighs> It, it it still comes down to orchestration, I think, for the most part. If we're going to coexist, if we're going to have developers developing triggers and and low coders writing low code, we need a better mechanism for coordinating it all, um, for orchestrating it all, for lack of a better word. Um, even even with platform events, I mean, controlling the order in which things fires is going to be increasingly important. I mean, I have that document that shows all the order of execution for everything hot-linked, but... I, I still have to reference it a hundred times over, but it would still be nice to be able to say, okay, I need this to fire before everything. Ideally, you're in a perfect world, you're packaging up, you know, your different applications. And then in package A, you know, you might use all code and package B, you might have flows. I mean, try to do everything and, you know, if you can do everything the same way in a package, this could be a package that uses flows. Like, I don't like mixing the different, you know, methodologies. Because then, you know, that way you can control your order because you know this package is only code, so you know that to look at the code and you'll know what's going on. And you know there's not going to be a flow in the mix. We kind of have that in, in our internal packages at, at the company Jeremy and I work with. And it is better to have your code separate from your config um, when it comes to unlock packages, although I'm trying to move us to manage packages for, for various reasons. But the 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 issue being that whenever you push an unlocked package, it overwrites everything, including config changes you made. It just says, this is what it's supposed to be, so I'm going to make it that. And so when you have mixed code mixed in with the config in that scenario, if you need to make an update to just the code, your update will end up overriding any config changes, which is a really negative thing on, on unlocked packages for that. So that's the package thing and being able to do things modularly sounds great, but man, it's risky given that that you can't control what gets updated. Like, managed packages doesn't really solve it well either. It just says, oh, that's already existing, so I don't override it. And you make whatever changes you want, but, yeah, it's not nice. Yeah, with managed packages, there's that kind of a concept of, like, write once. Like, if you have a a page layout and a managed Mm -hmm. package, the first time you install it, yeah, the page layout gets written into the installing org. And maybe this is a bad example, because I don't know if page layout applies to this, but I feel like then the installing org, they can modify certain types of things mm-hmm. 
And then when upgrades happen to the managed package, it won't clobber their changes right. as much. Right. I don't you can't modify right. the page layout again with your managed package. That's why they put the Apex metadata API in place. That's why it supports page layouts. Specifically so that people like managed packages could go back and meet to page layouts. Right. But I think the the mechanism that's used there is if you want to modify the page layout that was installed by the package, I think you clone it and you get your own unique page layout for that. And any changes that do come over don't, doesn't impact you. But with packages, unlock packages, I'm not ready for this yet. For unlock packages, um, there is no, there is none of that. You can just overwrite whatever pack, whatever layout was in the package. Yeah. Cause we, that's been a recurring problem for us. So we've got a lot of these, um, you know, relatively, relatively simple packages that just have like bundles of functionality that is common for us to use across different clients. So we made these packages, but they're unlocked, right? Mm -hmm. And the complaint we get from our consultants is that, you know, so they'll install these things, they'll customize some stuff, and then they'll want like change or they'll, they'll want like the latest version, which has some fixes or whatever. And then if you get, if you install that again, then they lose all their customizations. Right. Yeah. But even all of this doesn't, doesn't solve for the, for the idea that my package has a certain number of, of flows, triggers, and low code, and maybe a Salesforce package, we'll use EDA for this example, yeah. has its own version of, of all of that, and another vendor has, all, has their version for all of that. And we're all trying to play in the same playground. We're all trying to modify opportunities. How do I control the order of execution? I mean, depending on my use case of that particular application, I may need it to fire its automation before the EDA automation or before you know, another vendor's automation. There, there's a certain well, customizable you, you orchestration. You, so you can't depend on that. No, what, and that's right. what I'm saying. Yeah. I think we need a centralized orchestration tool within Salesforce that allows us to define that. I mean, that's what like the TDTM tr kind of tries to do, right? It gets it's us like a close. centralized repository of automation in a way. Right. Except it's only triggers. It's only triggers, yeah. As it should be. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Unless I'm crazy, unless, well, unless, because uh, I sometimes wonder how much of the things that we experience are 1% problems or if they're common problems. Like, is orchestration, because to me, it, it seems like a huge problem, but maybe, it, maybe to everyone else, it's not. In my opinion, I mean, I'm a consultant and it's a huge problem when you're having uh, people who are on the platform writing flows and process builders and you turn around and have someone else write a trigger for something. I don't know how many times it just turns into an argument over, well, you didn't have a good test class for your process builder. And they're like, well, they didn't make one because it wasn't a requirement. Um, so like, and then they just have this chance back and forth until eventually the most of the time the, the developer just takes the process builder, writes it into the trigger and moves the process builder. I mean, it does simplify things a bit you know, to do that, but yeah. I mean, I, I personally prefer to keep a, only one type of automation on an object uh, just to keep things simple. Because um, if you already have a trigger in there, there's no sense in adding other complications onto things that are just going to run into later. Um, keep it simple. Don't, don't, mix them, don't mix the waters. Yeah, and that, that's a common pattern, I think, is if you're going to have some kind of automation on something, you know, pick process builder or trigger or flow, but don't do all the things because orchestra like rationalizing what's happening is just really hard for human brains. It, it's, and, and, you know, you can, you can look at the debug log. It's, it's kind of, <laughs> so, especially if you have 
um, like reentrant or recursive. You know, it yeah. just it can get it's, it can get very difficult. I mean, I, I look at this. I'm like, I guess I can't tell what's going on. I don't know. It's yeah. like there's so many things firing and there's so many recursions to them. It's it is inception. Yeah, Salesforce yeah, that, that inception. Is, that is a really hard part. Even yeah. though, like like um, Illuminate Cloud has a tree view for the log. Which lets you, which kind of indents all the, all the interactions and everything. But yeah. even that, I thought that would help, but it doesn't because I mean it, it helps. It just it doesn't solve everything. I mean, it's, it, especially uh, it's just that that log is so lengthy, and it, it and is. the recursion problem comes into play here too. Because in one node, I've seen something happen, and now I have to jump into all the other nodes to see if it happened again, and it just it gets kind of crazy. Yeah. It's really tough to read them to the point where I just default to reading yeah. the raw log because it's. I can at least see what's going on. But do we, here's, here's a question though. Do we expect, okay, so we have this problem of, first of all, let's just, let's hearken back to a time, sorry, when it was just triggers. Mm -hmm. Even with, even with that, you know, if you didn't plan and design things well, you'll have things firing in orders that are unexpected, which can cause all kinds of hard to, hard to plan for and hard to catch bugs and even hard to reproduce sometimes, especially right. if there's ordering is, um, non-deterministic. I mean, that can be hard to understand. Um, now we've got all these other kinds of automation that we've thrown in, uh, which is good in that it gives us more ways to do things and brings more people into the fold in terms of people who don't want to learn how to program, like with textual programming languages, mm -hmm. because we all know that process builder and flows is, is programming. That's just you're not writing the curly brackets that's the only difference you know that's right. why i'm like why don't you guys just learn the curly brackets you'll, you'll be you'll be much happier <laughs> um title by the way john write that down for me oh, yeah, learn yeah. that learn the curly brackets um where am i going with this okay so we have these different automation uh options it's all very powerful salesforce has given us all these tools do we ex do we expect some kind of panacea from salesforce they somehow um regardless of the fact that you know, you got people over someone over here writing the flow, someone over here doing the triggers, and you know somehow they're going to solve these problems for us. There's going to be some. That's, that's yeah. not a bad way of putting it because even languages struggle with this. They they struggle with how much to build into the language versus how flexible it is. Right. What, which language? I criticized the which was it C sharp that built XML into the language? They did. Yeah. And they also built in what's their entity framework? It's kind of SQLy thing. They built that into the language. Just like, and I and I get it. Short term, it's like, oh, that's so practical, it, you know, because at the time everyone loved XML and XML was a hot thing. And they built a XML language, and now everyone's like, boo, XML, you know, hiss. <laughs> um, but it's stuck in the language. Like they have to, like the syntax has to support it. And the more things the syntax of a language supports, the more um, constraints it puts on what they do with that language in the future. Yeah. So this is Salesforce, right? I think this really reveals a lot about the politics and the organizational structure of the company because you get all these uh, Con Conway's features. Law. Conway's Law. You guys know that? All, all, all these technical features that are their own little kingdoms. And you can point to a lot of different parts of the platform that just aren't holistic because of the different teams that built each feature. And what you're craving here is some sort of arc overarching driving feature or unification system that just doesn't exist because the teams are pretty siloed and they each work on their own thing and no one owns the junction of all that stuff. Yeah. And having a junction could also be a detriment because now everything is now that's the bottleneck is now 
I have this new feature, but now I need to get it into the junction team's uh, task list to implement my interface into it and those kind of things. Okay, I have to read the definition of Conway's Law because right. that's basically what Chuck was talking about. Conway's Law is an adage stating that organizations design systems that mirror their own communication structure. So basically, the, the structure mm -hmm. of the system that a company's creating will mimic its org chart, essentially. I think that's what you've got here, and that's why you're you're wondering, okay, well, I've got Flow and Process Builder and Triggers and all this stuff, and I don't have a central orchestration UI in the setup menu to organize all my automations, which to me is one bucket of functionality. Right. But we might be able to get there. So one of us on this call, an ingenious developer, because one of the one of the hangups is that Flow's or Process Builder, you can't execute, but you can execute Flow's. So maybe maybe now we have a shot at, you know, creating some kind of orchestration layer on our own that says, okay, I'm going to fire this trigger, I'm going to fire this this uh, flow, and I'm going to fire, you know, X, Y, Z. Only thing it wouldn't solve for is workflow and process builder. Yeah, I mean, the more general purpose and powerful these tools are, and they are, they are both of those things. They're general purpose and they're powerful. The more it's up to the practitioner, mm -hmm. you know, the artisan, the professional to wield these tools in a skillful and professional way. Yeah, because we can, we can use triggers as an example. We, we cut our teeth on triggers a long time ago. It's perfectly legal in the system to create 100 triggers on one object. But we as a community have said, that's a bad idea. Have one trigger and have some kind of um, dispatching, dispatching yeah. class that will dispatch, dispatch all of those. And then you can control your order. So, I mean, you can do a process builder too. You could take your process builder, call Apex method, and you can turn around call another, you could call another process builder, you could call another flow. You could have that organization all right there in that one tool, and it's kind of at that base layer too. Yeah. We did cut our teeth on that as well. The The thing you lose is context, because um, as soon as, and I don't really understand flows 100%, but I'm sorry, process builder. But within a context, when you have a record and you may modify that record in that same context and you have your fall-through steps, the fall-through step is aware of the previous steps changes to that record. But as soon as you invoke another process builder, it loses that context. So now it's completely isolated. So any changes that were made, and if that process builder re-invokes, now you've got these, these data sets that just don't match each other on a number of levels. And it gets really hard to troubleshoot why something did not get set the way it was supposed to get set. Just to come back to, my, I think the where I was going with my thought process was the the more, and I'm not saying we are doing this. I'm just cautioning: the more we ask Salesforce to solve this, um, the it, it the more it's going to limit the functionality. That what did I what did I, what were the two things I said? The the general purposeness mm -hmm. and the power of these tools. Right. So it's. I mean, let's. I just want to be clear: like it's up to us to have a good design, a good architecture, and, and, and to develop patterns of use around these tools. And ideally, these are patterns of use that develop a vocabulary that this whole community uses so that we can kind of rally around so that, you know, what you're doing at your current job, you know, a couple of years from now when you get another job somewhere else, like, you, well, there was a certain pattern language that we speak. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. for that you need to use the trigger dispatcher or the what do we what do we have the trigger handler? You know, like we have these we have these patterns that we've developed language for, and we need to you know, I think we need to keep exploring that just as as a community of of Salesforce professionals. Um, 
And I think some of that is being done. That architecture document that we talked about on the last show kind of is that. Um, I just don't know that it's as prevalent. It's not as snappy as the marketing speak of you can do anything, just build it. Everything can be done with process no, builder and that's, flows. And... That's on that side of the house. We're on this side <laughs> of the house. You know, it's like we have to get shit done and, you know, people expect us to. Yeah, but as, as in that same frame of thought, we also have to advertise these things. We also have to kind of promote these things within the community and outside the community as as awareness campaigns of some sense to say there's there's a proper way to use this and if you do it this way you'll avoid certain pitfalls xyz type stuff yeah yeah i mean but and i think we're doing that i mean i guess i'm i'm saying maybe the i'm just encouraging to continue to happen what's been happening which is yeah. you know because people people give these talks at, at dreamforce at tdx there's communities like this one um where we talk about those these ideas and and share what we've kind of learned like hey here's like kind of this pattern we developed for solving this certain problem like this is this was our problem let me take 30 minutes and show you what the problem was and how we solved it and you know next thing you know like everyone knows what pk chunking means like what the hell who knows who knew what peak i mean pk chunking that is just it's the strangest sounding term ever but once you you know when you're talking to someone about how to solve a big a problem of like massive number of records and you just say pk chunking it's like oh yeah that, that, they it's a it's a vocabulary term that we that we know and i know exactly what you mean when you say that so just yeah. continuing to and again, I, I just want to caution because I don't want Salesforce to, ex I don't want Salesforce to think that they have to, that this is their thing to solve. It's their job to provide these, like these primitives, you know, flows, triggers, you know, whatever. And it's our job to, again, to, because the, again, the more, the more they solve, the more sell, we ask Salesforce to solve for us, the more constraints it's going to put on those tools. I don't want constraints on those tools. I want them to expect us to be big boys and girls and use these tools in a smart way. But I want powerful primitives so that we can build more complex abstractions on top of them. Yeah, that's fair. I'd say that's well put. Anyone else have any thought? I feel like I feel like John, you and I are dominating this conversation. It's <laughs> just probably habit. So you guys you just have to have to jump in. Anyone else have any thoughts on this? I'll pop the stack a little bit and go a few layers back to when you're talking about unlock packages, if you're ready for a detour. Sure. sure. Uh, I'm curious to have people kind of weigh in on their experience with unlock packages. I'm going to start out with a confession. So we're an ISV, right? And we have a partner business org. So we're kind of have our own org and we are understand packaging and structures. Like, okay, we're going to be the poster child of unlock packages. And I'm going to use unlock packages for our internal org. I'm going to use it for our accounting system, the way we define customers, the way we do our customer support packages, like internally, we're going to use unlock packages for everything. And it lasted about a month and I gave up completely. And we're back to just develop in the sandbox, track it all in one Git repo. It just, we bounced off it super hard. Uh, and I'm curious what people's experiences have been with unlock packages. And if we could talk about that for a little bit. So you went and modularized everything, right? Is that what you're saying? So yeah, each... I tried to make like a, a base package that had like the custom object definitions and fields and then sort of vertical sort of app-centric packages. So let's say um, definitions of a customer and the accounting around them. So invoicing that customer and tracking the subscription payments and stuff as like one app and then a different unlock package to track other things in the org like uh, customer support or like uh, dashboards around customer metrics, that sort of thing. Yeah, I'm curious what other people have to say about that. I'm going to stay quiet on this one and, and offer my thoughts last. I'll, I'll do the same. I'll do the same, yeah. 
Well, who's worked with Unlock Packages and what has your experience been? I guess it'd be a more broad way to open that up. I mean, I've been using them for the last nine months uh, extensively and they've been great. I've, I haven't really run into any issues. And in the last release, where you can now do push upgrades from off packages, uh, open up all sorts of doors for us, and it's been uh, it's been fantastic. I mean, the apps we have are, that that I've been building are very isolated, very you know specific use cases, so they don't branch out and have all sorts of you know reach into all sorts of different areas, you know, like one or two objects, and, and you know maybe one trigger, if if even a trigger. Uh, so we haven't ha I haven't run into any complications at all uh, in my scenarios, anyways. I've been very happy with them. So my scenario was specifically trying to take one Salesforce org used to run a business and tame the beast, right? To try to break down all the complexity of one org and start to chop it up into unlock packages, which is sort of the prescriptive recommended yeah. thing Salesforce has been talking about unlock packages. But there was so much sort of cross dependency, even in a relatively simple org, that the the headache of trying to organize and sort of sift every little feature or field or permission into the right unlock package and then the mechanics of making changes to them and then having to like install them into a sandbox and work on them there and then put the changes back into the unlock package somehow and then promote them up to production using a different CI process. It just, it felt like a lot of overhead for a single org. And I, I would consider my organization relatively proficient with Salesforce. So I'm just curious uh, about in the wild, how that's gone with people. Yeah, I can't speak to it at a whole org level because I've only been building, you know, the small independent packages and haven't had to break up anything. anything. So I'll jump in with my experience at this point. I, I, we have a lot of unlock packages and a lot of them are modularized where we have base, core, config, and various code. And it seemed fine at first, and I was making updates to whatever packages we had and deploying those, and aside from the, the issues I mentioned earlier about overwrites. Um, the other thing that came up that was kind of a pain was when, you, when we had clients with older versions and having to upgrade them, we had to upgrade multiple packages. I couldn't upgrade one package because that had new dependencies on newer packages, so then I had to go through and update all of their packages. So we installed, like, probably four packages, you know, because we they were all very small, very minor. They they had their independence aside from things that we were sharing in the core and in the config. But that meant that if if we advanced those packages and they started depending on new things in the core and new things in the config, that all of that had to be updated as well. And then factor in the overwrite issue, um, that became increasingly risky. So now I'm to the point where I'm trying to make sure that these are more independent and they don't have those cross dependencies because it just isn't worth it to me. Yeah, I think I think what people have discovered is that modularizing an existing application means disentangling dependencies which requires lots of refactoring. And you have first of all you have to kind of diagram out your the module the modules that you're decomposing into. Mm -hmm. And then you have to figure out how to refactor code so that because you, you know your 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 diagram needs to sh needs to have um, it's a dependency diagram needs to have arrows in the direction of the dependencies from one module to the next. 
And anything in one module can only, the code in it can only depend in, on the things that the arrow points to. So depends on this module, then it can depend on those things, but it can't depend on other things. I mean, that's the whole point of, and it turns out this is actually, <laughs> for an existing code base, is probably not feasible. It's, it's just as feasible. As, you might as well plan on a, this is essentially a ground-up rewrite. And, you know, Salesforce has made that kind of, that, that suggestion. Um, I'm trying to think of the, the adverb I wanted to put, attach to that. I can't really think of it. I mean, just passingly made this, made, have made the suggestion that, oh, just, um, yeah, you need to break up your org into, into packages. Yeah. That's how we suggest it. That's how you, that's how you can use DX. Just break it up into packages. That's an easy thing to say. The truth behind that is you're talking about essentially a rewrite of your org. And I, Chuck, I don't know if that's kind of what the the order of magnitude effort that you guys discovered once you got into it. I mean, interesting enough, most of ours was net new, right? This was a new initiative. We were adding a bunch of stuff, and we thought we'll start with unlock packages. So even just starting out fresh, we, we got, kind of got tangled up in ourselves, trying to just kept getting in our own way. And just the mechanics of the work cycle of like, okay, you were going to use a scratch org to develop the unlock package and push it back, but you're using sandboxes that, to get data that match your production org. And there still isn't really a great way to like make a scratch org look like production. So we had a lot of trouble just like getting the right environments in place and then like pushing changes that were provisional versus finished. Uh, it's just... It, the complexity of all the mutations and where they should go got wieldy. Yeah, I, so. I feel like it's just it's much more feasible when you're starting in something new, or if, if like Chuck was saying, if if kind of yeah, you, know, you may have a certain baseline of metadata already. Which when I say metadata, I mean and that includes code and everything, right? Mm -hmm. um, but if if what you've got so far is just the tip of the iceberg, then okay. You've got a, you still have 80% to go. You can do some refactoring. It just kind of, you blend that into the, the total effort that it's going to take to get you to where you need to be anyway. And that, that, that would make more sense. But it's, it's just a gigantic effort. And it's something that, no, I mean, I would say 99.9% .9 of orgs just were not, are not prepared for. <laughs> um, yeah. Not to mention the fact that it's kind of hard to refactor an org. I mean, Apex is the the language of Apex is hard to refactor. Um, you know, tracking changes to and splits and everything to objects and fields and that's all we've talked about that before. Just somehow tracking the changes to that metadata and in a way that in a that can be deployed to you can just check out any at any certain commit in the code and deploy it to a to an org. I mean that just you know the the tooling is not there for that so. It's it's a little bit of an uphill battle. I mean, it's one of those things, okay, here's the tools we have now. Going forward, here are our principles mm -hmm. and our kind of our SOP on how we're going to do things. But what's in the past is kind of in the past. It's it's the happy soup. And, you know, once you combine the the broth and the herbs and the bits of uh, celery and carrot and onions and chicken and all that stuff. You, you can't separate it back out. You, yes, you can't separate it back out. It's the happy soup. <laughs> has it? Well, we're on this topic. Has anyone kind of 
had any experience with just using a single namespace and had any issues with that? Across multiple packages? Mm-hmm. Okay. Like in your case, Chuck, did you have unique namespaces for each one of the packages or did you just go single namespace? So I very deliberately went no namespace because okay. I didn't want to, there, there's some weird complications with namespaces and unlock packages. Yeah, I had a weird instance and that's the reason I brought it up and I'm not sure how it happened, but I believe what happened is two packages shared the same namespace. One was uninstalled or something weird happened to it and it removed a metadata item from another package package because they shared the same namespace. It was something weird like that. And the only way I could resolve it was to reinstall both packages and then uninstall in a certain order. It was just the weirdest thing. But somehow one package uninstall because they shared the same namespace affected the others. I'm not sure if they both had the same metadata in their package or what. I think that might have been it. Like they both had... I think it was a field or an object or something. They both had the same object in the package, but and they all shared the same namespace, so they both thought they owned that metadata. And so when one was uninstalled, it broke the other package. Still rather have more namespaces than, yeah. than one namespace. How do we I'm curious, how do we feel like the the guidance, the documentation from Salesforce on I mean they they've there's been all this new package technology. I mean it's it's not come as quickly as what I, what some of us might hope, but I mean, it's, it's, we're kind of slowly getting these, these new packaging technologies, which is good, but what do we, how do we, because I feel like there's uh, still so much, such a, I guess a lack of, I mean, this conversation is a good example, just kind of a lack of understanding of, okay, how do we, how should we have these new, you know, there's unlocked and managed and what are the, what are the other ones? Um, Oh, there's like, like two or three other back package types. Unmanaged, right? There's unmanaged, unlocked, managed. And it's, you know, how do we, depending on where you're at, what's your path forward? How do you, how should you be using these? If you're in this scenario, then consider this. If you're in that other scenario, are we, I mean, does, does the document, conversation because of and it's the been a while. are there and well, we have to figure out how to use them. And it could be, it could be. Um, and I'm not asking, I'm not, in this case, I'm not, I'm not saying that Salesforce should be actually building more constraints into these things i'm wondering when you look at the because last time i went and read the the 2gp packaging documentation it's like it's it, it's something's not i mean I, I can read it but it's not it just doesn't it doesn't click as well as i'd like to do in terms of okay n i get it and i see how i can use this and how my path forward from where i'm at right now yeah. it's kind of dry and, and and it's isolated documentation. There's there's different documents for different things out there. And it's, to me, there's it's not real cohesive. Like here is like a general like a guide. I mean, there are there are I feel like there are references and the, and Salesforce, you know, it's, they're pretty good at that. There's like the you're doing managed packages. Here's a reference for that. You're doing unlocked. Here's the reference for that. But like, almost like a guide. We need a guide of and maybe it's out there. I don't know. I haven't seen it. Well, but, that's a but, perfect but the segue. Fact, but the fact that I think people are still really struggling with this. Yeah, and makes I think me that's a perfect that... segue into talking about communities, because I think that's the value of communities like GDS and other communities in Slack. Well, maybe and... so, but my, my question still stands. Like, is do we do we want some Salesforce? Do we want more guidance from Salesforce on this, or, or do we not? I think we want to understand the underpinnings and the, of what that technology does, and that we can figure out the rest, I think. Okay. 
Well, then they've, I think they've done their, their job then, because I think that's out there. We just have to figure it out. I just feel like there's still a lot of confusion amongst relatively smart people. Well, there's going to be confusion with anything. It, it's a matter of experience. I mean, it, it's, it's with anything. I guess. Uh, John to be clear, John I, I think the MMO yeah, packages are a great feature <laughs> and probably worth this sort of effort. Uh, I probably gave up too fast, but I was surprised by how hard it was. Right, I just want to put that out there that people that generally kind of know packaging still struggle with some of this stuff, and it's okay if that's you too. It did get better with DX. I do like the command line tooling for creating packages and installing packages and all that. It's 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 been a lot nicer. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I don't I don't go in and install packages anymore. I just run the the CLI command for it because it's just so much easier. There's there's still so much that I don't understand about this because. So my understanding is that, I mean, there's still, there's no dependency management and certainly no dependency resolution. So yeah, you can decompose into packages, but you still have to assemble all those packages yourself. You still have to make sure that if yeah. any packages that depend on other packages and then transitively from then, you know, rinse and repeat, those packages depend on other packages, which depend on other packages. Like that's still your job to go figure all that stuff out and assemble it and install them in the right order and all these kinds of things. Um. So yeah, it's just it's it's honestly so, <laughs> it's it's uh, it's so different than any other packaging technology or modularization technology from other platforms. Yeah, that it's just it's hard. For, it's it's still I still struggle to like relate to it and fully understand it. But so Jeremy, something that Salesforce are working on now is uh, package bundles, so that you can say you can install a whole bundle of packages as one operation. So you could say the bundle is this package and all its dependencies. And I don't know if that's the ideal way of solving the dependency problem, but it kind of shows that they see it and they're moving towards it. Because one of the practical difficulties is if I want to upgrade something in production, and that is six separate steps, and we fail on step four, we're kind of half installed, yes. half upgraded. What do we do? And that's one of the things they're trying to address. But I think they're moving in the right direction still with this, and they are listening to what people are trying to do with unlock packaging. Yeah, the, the bundle. It's an interesting concept, I guess. Um, although, I, again, I feel like instead of the developer or packager having to specify the full contents of their bundle, that, you know, it, you go to install any given package, it, the, every given package should express its dependencies should communicate its dependencies. So that all you have to say is, I want to install John's super awesome app. Mm -hmm. And John's super awesome app says, well, I depend on this ORM and this string parsing thing and this tokenizer thing and this HTTP library thing. And then those things say, well, I depend on this super low level bit fiddling thing and this, I depend on this really low level networking thing or whatever. And they, because everything expresses its own dependencies, all I have to say is, I want John's super awesome app. And the system just says, it just walks that tree, puts together the manifest, and installs the things. Yeah, I think for that to happen, I think the only way that should happen is if it's certified. So that all the dependencies are certified as well. Okay, maybe so. I don't know what certified means, but... Well, it just means it went through app review. 
I mean, John's awesome app could be awesome, but I could be backdooring in and, some and other that, apps. That's such that's a procedural your, your and like political and financial gateway weird thing that I I hear what you're saying. Like I want there needs to be like for example, I mean, all um all of these uh, like public repositories of of binary components out there, they all they all try to have governance or, so mm -hmm. that you know you can't get malware or people can't. I can't um, pretend I'm John and submit a new version of your app that actually just you know sends everyone's email addresses to me so I can spam their order, right? Right. I mean, they all try to solve that, and maybe that's what you're saying. Yeah. And that's why also, I mean, a lot of you know, come you know, like look at Salesforce for example. I mean, they build, they, they you know, I mean, they they use all kinds of Java stuff and all these Apache projects, and I 100 percent, 1,000 percent guarantee you that all of those, all of the dependencies that they that they that go into the products that they build are vetted, approved, reviewed by their security team and all and, and legal teams and everything else. And Salesforce runs their own private instances of their Maven repositories, their NPM repositories. And only the only and, and those when if you're a product manager or a, or a you know, like a lead engineer in one of their teams, you're not allowed to use the public NPM or the public Maven Central. You've got to use Salesforce's internal one that only contains approved artifacts that went through that whole process. Um, but at the end of the day, though, these all these engineers, they need those types of systems in order to actually build software in a reasonable amount of time and get stuff shipped. Agreed. Let's do a time check. Let's, check, let's uh, right. do another topic. Uh, how about this one? Value of an online community of colleagues when you're working from home. Whoa, that's on our end. That was me. I think I hit my desk. Oh, there's just a lot of noise over here. That too. This is a noisy place today. I know. But this is not social distance compliant. No, I don't it's think. not. No. <laughs> Why don't you go out there and be a Karen, John? Tell him to go home. Then I have to put my mask on. <laughs> yeah, that's a proper Karen would, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first time I'm trying that mask. I think I prefer the... Um, yeah. What, I don't like one? the cloth ones. I prefer the, oh, the actual either. disposable paper I just, ones. I use the surgical ones. Yeah. Buy me like... Amazon, 50 packs. Well, the buying the disposable ones are pretty expensive, so I thought, okay, well... Let's is it? Yeah, it is. But you're not, are you going to wash that all the time, or what? Yes. Really? Yeah, okay. this one had lint on it. Can you put it in the dishwasher? Dishwasher? Yeah. I don't know. They say that's like the best way to wash a, like a baseball cap. Yeah. What are you guys doing for masks? <laughs> oh, is that, is that the What are you guys doing for masks? That's the topic. <laughs> They're just staying at home. No one's going anywhere. No one's using masks. I don't know. Cloth here. Cloth. cloth. Cloth as well. Well, if you do cloth, you can, you know, you can get custom. You can have your, you know, your your sports team's logo or whatever, you know, your company's logo, whatever. Oh, you that's like. what we need. GDS <laughs> yes. freaking masks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> someone, someone go take care of that. <laughs> I'm not doing it. <laughs> hey, we got a mask right there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right. What was our, what was the? Oh, yeah, the this. topic. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Value of an online community. Well, I mean, so I think we already talked about that a little bit. That, that was a whole thing with. Well, I think this is more about, like, uh, well, I mean, it says for colleagues when you're working from home. So, I mean, how is everyone at their company kind of handling that? I mean, uh, for us, we have Slack and we've been using Slack. So, and we're, we've always been distributed. So, yeah. that's just normal for it, us. And also, uh, just a little bit more back information on because our company has always been. I mean, we, we've never had like a corporate office, 100% distributed. There's nowhere you can go 
It's because our CEO likes to move every every <laughs> six months and build a new house. Yes, and remodel a house, you know. <laughs> and then like live in the desert for yeah. half a year, and then live live in Hawaii for half a year, and live yeah. in Mexico for half a year. So yeah. yeah. So we have no central office. <laughs> but so yeah, so so remote is in our DNA, right? We've we have the asynchronous communication. We've got that. We've got that down. It's just, it's how we do business. If you're, so I guess, because what we have solved is, is that problem of when most people are in the office, but some people aren't, the people that are remote, everyone kind of forgets, oh, we forgot to, we forgot to bring John into the teleconference because everyone else was here. And I'm fine with that. <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> you don't um, have to call me. Yeah. But no, it's, but so for us, it's been, it's not, it's, you know, we didn't miss a beat. It's just not a problem. But I know other companies are different. And well, we know Matt was forced to go into the office. Apparently so. Oh, no, he wasn't forced. They just, they, they put a fresh keg on. So <laughs> he was yeah, there. Just put the keg on and let everyone know that the keg was working. And then just, you know, put the cheese out and see if the mice come. We're open. So, like, yeah, what the hell? And that's why, that's why Stefan's not in the office because Salesforce said no more kegs at, at the office. Uh, I think that was a little <laughs> bit of, I think that was speaking to the media. I'm not sure how much practical effect that had on alcohol in the office. <laughs> so it did. And so for things like, if you wanted to host a user group meeting in the office, you have to have VP approval before they can bring alcohol into the building. Really? Wow. Hmm. Yeah, we do the same at thing here. At least in the UK, we do that. Yeah, we, we have the, the we have the same thing at the Good Day Sir Studios, except I'm the VP and I always approve everything. <laughs> you have to get approval. Why did you make yourself something? the VP, not the not the president? Because he said it had required a VP. So, oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> well, you know the v, the president trumps the VP. So. That's true. It's just a delegated, yeah, yeah. Dele, delegate, well, ugh. delegated approval. There you go. Yeah. So, I don't know, what do you guys? Is it Slack the thing? Is it? What it was? What are there some other ones? The well, let's Skype to, teams. Uh, okay, I want to get back to the the spirit of the actual question: the value of an online community of colleagues. So, what do we? To me, that that sounds like whoever wrote that. It sounds like they're talking about not necessarily your employees, your your coworkers, but an online an online community of colleagues. So. That's, my colleagues are people who maybe, I work with, right? Maybe that's you know these various uh, chatter community groups. Maybe it's the Good Day Sir community. Maybe it's um, the the Salesforce Reddit or these other things. You know, is that what we're talking about? I don't know who, who created this, but so yeah, you're not the office anymore. You're on your usual network. Uh, are people relying more on stuff like GDS? You find that that becomes more important to you and more valuable. How are you surviving sort of mentally with like the work that you do, but also how are you connecting with people to get work done? I'm just, I'm going to start calling names. <laughs> well, I can speak for myself. Um, I'm not used to work remotely. I just did like once a week. And now that I'm working from home, um, for five months, I think I'm more productive now. So uh, the online community, it's I've used to to do there or at home. Doesn't it didn't make any change for me. But um, so I guess I'm just more productive without being there. <laughs> That's the only dif difference that I I felt. So I'm I'm 
actually leaning on friends to to keep mentally ill and that's it yeah, i wonder if that's mentally, true for, for, for a lot of yeah. people i don't know that <laughs> we knew what you meant <laughs> i don't know that like work-wise i think we've all kind of relied on these communities i mean that's always been the, the strength of salesforce is all the communities and they did, they've done a lot to kind of kind of encourage those communities yes. yeah but you're right i think your personal communities became more important. You know, how you communicate with your friends and how you interact and reach out to them. Like I started doing, Jeremy's not on the list, but I started doing this weekly check-in with a couple of people that I know. Um, Thanks. Well, I see, Gosh, I talk yeah, to you all I the thought, time. I thought we were friends, you know? I talk to you all I've the time. You like we do this years. podcast together. That's my weekly check-in with you. Okay. You're actually the only one I actually see in person. I don't see anybody else outside of my home other than you that's, in person. That's because you're a room my, follower. My, my, my my uh, second wife here. <laughs> John's a rule follower. He doesn't stays home. Doesn't go to bars or restaurants. He can't go to bars. They're shut down. Yeah, but I'm I'm uh, I'm a bit of a germaphobe. So this this is kind of okay yeah. with me. <laughs> well, so so the whole idea of being now that you're stuck at you're working at home uh, and you're more productive. That's that's fascinating because we've seen a lot of that discussion about um, after the after we've got this COVID thing whipped, you know. Or it just burns itself out, which is what's going to happen. Do we, I mean, do companies, are they going to just make everyone go back into the office? Or are they going to realize, because it was forced upon them, I mean, especially a lot of these old, um, like old, what are they, it's like old school companies or just real traditional. I think uh, it depends on what your job role is. Like there's some job roles that are better suited for being remote than others. That's, that's very true. But a lot of people that could have worked remote this whole time, but their company policy just didn't allow them to, they now are working from home. They're getting more done. Um, we're proving that we can be more productive than ever. And the question is, are they going to call? They're going to call you back in and make you sh go into the office. I mean, even even Google said, Dick, "Hey, until like sometime into 2021, we're not going to make anyone come in." And they kind of have an in, in the office culture for the most part. I think Salesforce has extended their "you don't have to come in." They have policy as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the and the other, of course, the, the controversial thing about that is is well, heck, if if Salesforce doesn't make me come into the office, then why am I paying rent for this, you know, shoebox I have, you know, four thousand dollars a month rent on this shoebox I have, uh, when I can, you know, go back to my hometown of. Well, it would change. God, that would change a lot of things, wouldn't it? Because, I mean, how many people have an office a mailbox <laughs> in some high-rise fancy building with a very fancy address just because it's all part of that fake it till you make it kind of stuff um mm. i mean are the, all these buildings downtown going to be nothing but shells to oh there's a so the real estate investors are massively concerned about that yeah what if everyone realizes that you know eight, 50 percent of people didn't need to go into the office every day well, I mean, is there anybody I mean, is there real, anybody on this estate... call that feels like they need to be in the office like like, they really need to be back in the office. Depends on if there's fresh beer. <laughs> Is that the criteria? Apparently so. <laughs> no, I mean, no one's saying I mean, that, I got to be honest. So. It's be a little bit of an attraction for me. But our industry we're, is... Uh, Go ahead. I would say we're a fully remote company in general, and we tend to get everyone together once a quarter. Now that we've missed two of those quarters, we actually quite feel that something is lacking there, not having everyone see each other, go out for drinks, have a meal, socialize, that, that is something that's missing. Yeah, that's true. I mean, as, even even GDS as a kind of the virtual community that it is, it, 
it's always strengthened by the get-togethers that happen, the meetups and things like that. Like that, that personal connection is still a big deal. And is that just some human nature that we just can't escape? Like as much yeah. as we like to think that we can work from, you know, maybe maybe you can be pretty productive at home and everything, but it, it's just some, uh, you know, lower on the Maslow hierarchy need that we have to get together and just hang out and. Well, I mean, this is a good example. I mean, we could, I could be at home right now, but I'm not, I'm here. Yeah. We did that for a while. It sucked. It was okay, actually. I think I think we made the best of it. It wasn't, it wasn't all that bad. No, it sucked because okay. w one advantage that we got out of this from sitting across from each other is I can see you talking, you can see me talking, and we can kind of have those visual cues that you don't really get when you're on a phone call. And even with Zoom, that kind of happens, but when you've got a grid of people, you, you can't focus on everybody all at once. But for some reason, in person, you can pick up on those cues a lot easier than you can if, if it's just a grid of video. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm the only one that, that feels that way, but I feel like I can pick up on people's emotional state, on their kind of what they want to say or when they they want to say when I'm in person and I can kind of get those side glances versus just 2D video. Not if they're wearing masks, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can't read anything when somebody has a mask. That's true. Yeah. I forget because I'll, I'll walk through the lobby here. And I'll smile at someone just because I'm I'm that kind of I'm this kind of guy. I mean, if I meet if I make eye contact, I'm going to smile at you. Um, and I realize like, oh, they. But you know what's it's weird because you can see smiles in people's eyes. I didn't realize that. Yes, you didn't know that. I mean, I do now. It's because you I mean, didn't watch Top Model. Smile with your eyes. I guess not, John. <laughs> so that's not my thing. So I don't know even know what that is. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a thing. It's a thing. Someone someone out there knows it's a thing. It's a thing. Smile and, and with your eyes. Called smizing, smizing. Yeah. Tyra Banks. Oh, smizing. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that, but yeah, you can. It's weird. I think I think people have figured out how to develop that skill of seeing if someone's smiling at you with their eyes. Yeah. And Me, I'm just I just gotten fatter, so my cheeks go like this, <laughs> and my eyes go like this. <laughs> see, smiling. Yeah. I can't see your eyes anymore. So yeah, you must be smiling at me. Yeah, if I'm squinting, I'm smiling. Okay. <laughs> To share something to help me, I mean, I've been developing from home for six years now, so the pandemic didn't really change much for my work. I missed being able to roll my chair over to the guy next to me and, like, talk at a problem. Uh, the question but, is, know, does, does he miss that? <laughs> I was just going to say something. <laughs> does that guy miss you? <laughs> but you know what, what helped uh, a few weeks ago? Uh, we just discovered, and I don't know how long it's been around. I don't think that long. Uh, Visual Studio Code uh, Live Share Extension. Uh, for uh, pair programming and you connect and you're sharing your VS code screen, you're coding together and being able to properly go over the code and code at the same time. And you got your cursors like Google Docs. Uh, it's neat and it works really well. And that helped us get through some problems. <laughs> yeah, Jeremy, Jeremy calls me up sometimes and we share a screen and he figures it out while he's trying to explain the problem to me. So yeah, that's, that's still very, pretty valuable. John, did you see your mask in the chat? In the Slack? My mask in the yeah, chat. Yeah, you got a mask. Anyway, Todd made for you. Oh, nice. Can we get it? Can we get a... Uh, yeah. Can can we get those printed? Is that a thing? <laughs> That's pretty good, too. Looks real. Anyway, all right. Um, what else do we have? Okay, I, this card, this is fascinating to me. Um, but Salesforce, there's this rumor that Salesforce is considering acquiring Datadog. 
What is Data? Well, so okay, Datadog is they're a big competitor with like App Dynamics and who are the other big ones? The 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 you know kind of monitoring app health log aggregation, uh, Dynatrace, New Relic. Anyway, infrastructure. So monitoring. Data Datadog, I feel like uh, they, to me they seem newer, but they've they've kind of catapulted just in. I think they run a lot of advertising. I don't know, but you hear about them everywhere now. And Salesforce is considering buying them for what was it twenty twenty billion? And even before I saw that number, which seems really high, the, my first thought was, why would Salesforce buy a an app monitoring company? Uh, probably because more and more companies are investing in but it's, tools and services, and they need to keep an eye on it. Maybe so. It, it's so low level, though. I mean, Salesforce is all about. Yeah, but now it's more important. Building products. Like when everyone on... was in the office, everyone had access to the network. And downtime, you know, you could find things out pretty quickly. But, but even you didn't know what this was. Have you ever used App Dynamics or Datadog or no, New Relic? No, I know about okay. it. What I'm saying is that... You've used New Relic. You just don't know it. I know that for a fact. That's okay. We'll talk about it later. All right. <laughs> Do you remember when we were at Thirsty and we ran to that guy who was a... Like VP of sales for um, App Dynamics. I don't know. If Vaguely, you were. I was talking to him more than you were, but anyway, okay. you talk to people more than I do. Well, that's true. You're more social I than I am. Yeah, <laughs> I've been practicing social distancing for like years. Well, this was this was well, that's true. Your whole life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so why would Salesforce care about Datadog? I'm thinking it's it. I think they see the potential in that more and more companies are having to to monitor more and more infrastructure because more and more of their employees are now distributed and downtime is increasingly a detriment because they're so distributed. And here's what I understand. This is not something that Salesforce customers are going to use to monitor any of their Salesforce stuff. This is, this is something that Salesforce probably uses internally to help. This is something they would offer. No, this is, this is low level stuff. Mm. This is, I mean, it attaches on into your JVMs, into your running processes and it's, it's monitoring like, um, hot spots in your app and and memory usage and, and it's, well, it's, it's applying, you know, it, it's scanning log output for patterns and all that kind of stuff. Well, here's a thought. I mean, I, I think both I know for sure MuleSoft, I'm not sure about Tableau, but both of them have on-prem options, especially for government and all those kind of industries that require on-prem. This could be a, an offering specifically for them to be able to monitor some of that stuff. I guess so. It's just, I mean, if it's What's the what's the strategy if it's a if it's a twenty billion dollar thing you know and, and it might it, it might be something that okay this may be one of the first Salesforce acquisitions of course this is just I don't think this is just rumor but it did the Datadog stock went up quite a bit on the on this rumor oh well here's why that Peloton's a customer they get oh, okay, those, well, those Pelotons yeah there you go um, but it this might be one of the first acquisitions where it's really not about bringing it into the Salesforce cloud ecosystem it's just something for Salesforce to own. Because they believe in the future of that company. But again, like why wouldn't Salesforce Ventures just be an investor? But maybe they just want to bounce. I mean, obviously this is like it would be an outright acquisition. Well, maybe, the company, maybe the company is looking to be acquired, and they've got they've got a good enough technology, but maybe they're maybe they're not in a position to sustain that without getting bought. Yeah. Of course, this is the segment of the show where none of the Salesforce employees can <laughs> say anything. Mute. Doing <laughs> most of the show. Today. Yeah. Well. <laughs> no, I just, uh, it's anytime like my different kind of tech and work worlds collide, this, it's always fascinating to me. Yeah. Anyone have any uh, 
thoughts on this? <laughs> I think they leave the speculation to Just us. Wondering, yeah, would this mean that the trust site is updated uh, more rapidly? <laughs> Oh, uh, I wouldn't hold you my would breath. You'd be so lucky. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wouldn't hold my breath. Um, there is, there is. I will say, and we can move that on to this topic because it's probably not that topical for for us. But the like app, app dynamics and New Relic, they've all started going to a. Um, they've added a freemium layer because these are traditionally the, you know, really high. And this is enterprise sales stuff. These companies, it's big and it's like. You know, it's per core or per JVM or all these things, and it's 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 pricey to get even just to get started with them. But they've all added this freemium layer, which is great because a lot of our clients don't have big budgets because they're a nonprofit or they're some small school or whatever. And um, I've got plans to start integrating some of these some of these commercial monitoring tools into into some of the stuff that we're doing huh. that will not cost our clients anything. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I noticed you anyway. looked at me when you said that, so I assume. I'll I be... mean, I don't know, because we were for the same company, I guess. <laughs> but anyway, the next topic. I don't. I don't know. There's much to say about that. I saw that article about the GDPR stuff. Well, you have to say what the topic is because <sighs> just go read the doc. Oracle and Salesforce hit the GDPR class lawsuits. Yeah, so apparently there's there's a lawsuit against Salesforce. And <laughs> let me Oracle. let me let me take a stab at that better, John. No, that's, Oracle, that's, that's the perfect no, way of introducing it. They didn't hit the class. They Oracle and Salesforce that's the, that's were the, stop. They were hit. Were hit with yes. Okay, this, these words matter. They were hit with a GDPR class action lawsuit over cookie tracking consent. Yeah, it was bound to happen. Yeah, these are like, this GDPR stuff is super tricky, um, and Salesforce walks a fine line on trust, and the other side of that line is they're in the marketing business and they're in the business of helping their clients market, which inevitably means collecting as much data as you can on people you are trying to market to. Which is just a general statement, and I'm not saying Salesforce has done anything wrong, mm -hmm. but that's just that's got to you know that's that's a that's a fine line to walk. Uh, did you read this, John? I read some of it, but honestly, it it just it felt like an an an, an inevit. Can I say the word inevitable? In in inevitability. There you go. Good job. Said it. That was good. That was yeah. like seven syllables. It was. You're two beers in. Half. Well, those are like eight percent. So, but yeah, it just seemed seemed inevitable. Inevitable. I, I wasn't surprised. Shouldn't that, have gone for it again. Yeah. You should just stuck with this. <laughs> yeah. Stop. You know, stop while I was you, only John can snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm done. And to that, I say, no, not yet. It's too early. Uh, let's see. The suits argued that the mass surveillance of internet users to carry out real-time bidding auctions cannot possibly be compatible with strict EU laws around consent to process personal data. So to me, this is like not some clear, like, oh, someone did something wrong. It's just like, yeah. we interpret these laws differently than you do. Yeah. So. Which I think was the big risk around GDPR originally, wasn't it? That it, it was so... I'm not going to talk. I'm not an expert on it. But I thought that some of the big risk was that it was it could be interpreted very loosely. 
And the, the penalty was pretty high. Yeah. Anyway, it's just an, it's a news item. We'll, we'll track it. it. It's, this one seemed weird to me because uh, my understanding of marketing cloud is it's all like impression based. You're trying to track usage, but real time bidding on ads is a totally different industry, like related, but that's not my understanding of what marketing cloud's doing. So it seemed like they're conflating someone else's tech with what marketing cloud does. Well, there's other. So Salesforce has a lot of products. There's, you know, oh, that's it, right. It's because they acquired that one company, isn't it? Craft or whatever. Crux, Crux. Crux. I, I don't Crux. know. One well, Crux was a deep, uh, what was a, a data DMP? Am I right about that? Does anyone know a data management? It's like the it's a marketing thing, but the DM a DMP data digital marketing platform. Thank you, digital marketing platform. And I mean, yeah, just the way those work is by you collect as much intelligence as you can on what people want and what what it's because again, it, in the, the whole lawsuit, it's, it's all about bidding. Because anytime you know something about someone, you're going to bid to put information in front of them, and you're bidding against other people who also want to put their information in front of them. Oh. It's like it's kind of like just the whole the basic AdWords model. You know, if I want to sell someone trumpets, um, other people want to sell people trumpets too. I, I got do I want? Am I willing to bid more than these other guys are on how much I want to talk to you about trumpets? So you can click on my trumpet ad. I may or may not be in the market for buy, to buy a trumpet for one of my kids right now. <laughs> and the internet but, already knows about it. That's true. Yes. All the DMPs, they've got me in their, in their mm-hmm. database. Yeah. So does Crux get sued for that? Or does Crux get sued because Salesforce bought them and Salesforce is a big enough target to make that worth suing? Probably that. Yeah, I don't know. And I don't know if, I don't know if Crux is a, an, even an entity anymore or if it's been dissolved into Salesforce. I don't think it matters. I think with a lot of these, I'm generalizing here, but I think a lot of with a lot of these lawsuits, the 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 lawyers, the firms look at this as well, who who can we make liable for this, and are they big enough target for us to to invest a certain amount of our resources into claiming that? And so I think it becomes a numbers game. Yeah. Like if you're a small fry, they're probably like, eh, uh, yeah. we're not going to get anything out of it. It's not worth it. Sure. And, and you know, the bigger Salesforce gets, the more we're going to see them get targeted for, right. for lawsuits. Yeah. Just kind of comes with the territory. I mean, just to say it out loud, that whole industry of like secondhand markets for ad purchasing based on personas is super sketchy. Like that is some sketchy, sketchy corners of the internet in the marketing world. I'd agree with that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's on the creepy side. It is. It is. I think we have a... Uh... Super creepy. <laughs> hey, the soundboard works. It does. That was, that was from Farago, John. Nice. We also have this one. We're all heading to creepy. We yes. all know that. I mean, that's from Daddy Benioff himself. How you doing over there, John? You oh, this one's done. Okay. There you go. Oh man, this is good. Oh, I'll narrate. Jeremy stands up, hands John a beer, <laughs> the third beer, I believe. Uh, this happens three or four times during the sh- during pretty much every show. I'm not only the uh, <clears throat> podcast wrangler, but I'm the uh, bartender. You're the pusher. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I seem to have a fairly soft target over here, so. <laughs> Uh, so I want to get to this. What's this last one here? Oh, the financial force patent. This one was interesting. This one. Yeah. This boils my blood. <laughs> now, 
Me too. Well, so I'll just set the stage by saying I am so against software patents in general. Um, there's been just some famous ones that are, are blood boiling. But uh, this is a this is financial force that has applied for a patent. What's the date on this? Okay, this is old. <laughs> it's still pending. So I guess this is not news, but I just saw it for the first time the other day. They're trying to patent using a queuable in a batch. And the, yeah, this is one ex specific example, but just, just in general, like let's talk about the, the, the possibility of people patenting the way you write your cubals and your batches and, or your triggers or your trigger handler. What if you could, I can file up, maybe I should just to prove a point. I'll file a patent tomorrow on trigger handlers. How about that? <laughs> yeah can you even like file a patent on how you use someone else's technology like that was my I use question salesforce better than you and i'm gonna oh, file a patent you can't do salesforce the way i do salesforce you don't like it john what is it it's a double dry hop ipa with nelson so sovin hops that's weird you don't you saying you don't like new zealand hops john is anti-new zealand just wasn't expecting that flavor. You should see his face. Can you guys see his face? <laughs> I'll drink it, but it's... Finally, people can see your face. It's no, not just it's... me that has to look at this. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... I just wasn't expecting that. It's got this... I don't know how to start Okay, it. so on Nelson, Nelson's off in that hop, I get a bit of a burnt rubber yes. thing. You get that too? Yes. Okay, well, we're not grape soda this time? No, no, okay. no. I like grape soda. This yeah. is weird. It is, it's a little different. I'm not. A, I'm not a massive fan of Nelson. All right, back on topic. But Sorry. it's really popular. It's really popular. It's hard to get. You can't. I mean, a pound of that hop will cost you thirty five dollars, which is really expensive. All right, back to the patent. What, Chuck? What was your? You just said something that sounded interesting or smart. Well, I was. It seemed weird to me, the even the idea of like patenting someone else's, I assumed patented software and like my usage of their software that I could somehow patent that. Like, well, the, who is the they? Do, do you mean just because it's uh, a software that so can, where, where can the financial runs? force or any other vendor patent a specific pattern of usage of Salesforce's platform? Like, can I patent the way I do lambdas and you can't do lambdas the same way? I, I believe so, like, because because you can patent the way that I use Oracle's platform that's called Java. Man. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but if, if you take a look at the patent, it generalizes platform, and Salesforce is one of the platforms it's referencing as part of the process. So, like, I, I have a provisional patent filed at the moment for aggregating consent related data against a person. It happens on Salesforce, but it could be replicated on other platforms as well within that same pattern. Yeah, it does. So who, I mean, it, it does mention Salesforce. That. It says on a Salesforce platform to process records. And then, yeah, it says for a Salesforce. It keeps saying either a Salesforce platform or the Salesforce platform. It mentions that over and over. So it's patenting the the pattern per se, not necessarily the technology. Right. It, yeah. It's it's the well, it algorithm or the, the pattern. It's not theirs. But the, but the method of using that no, technology but the, is... The, the is, legal wording is pertaining to the pattern, not, not the technology, even though it does mention Salesforce several times. Yeah, they're not patenting, they're not patenting Salesforce. They're, they're patenting a particular use of 
some technologies, a, a pattern of use of technologies that happens to be on the Salesforce platform. Just like Amazon patented the one-click checkout, which is super dumb. And there are, there's a patent out there for literally for zeros and ones. You know about this patent, right? No, yeah. not the zero and one. <laughs> yes. I knew about Amazon's patent. Yeah. Yeah, there's the one click. Uh, I thought they had another one that was that was insane. It was the tabbed interface, wasn't it? They patented the tab interface. Yeah. Who did? Amazon. Amazon did. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Hey, well, shoot, I'm going to go start patenting these. stuff down, too, because I've done some pretty creative stuff, in my opinion, and I'm going to go patent it. So, um, so the EFF, they, they, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, they track, they track software patents. Um, let's see. So they say, here at EFF, we, we see a lot of stupid patents. Uh, there was a patent on scan to email was a patent. And there's a patent on, uh, let's see, bilateral and multilateral, uh, multilateral decision-making. Anyway, they have yeah, they have a stoop a what is it stupid patent of the month? And these are real patents, but <laughs> oh, did you spill? John spilled. Shush. <laughs> oh, he's shushing me. Okay, so let's say that someone like Financial Force successfully patents something as asinine as cubals on top of batches. Do we get a chance to contest that? Like, can I say, listen, a lot of people already do this. I mean, it's, Go away. there's the patent spending right now. You can, I think you can register, you know, a, a brief with the uh, USPTO if you want to. I, I, this prompts so many questions for me. Yeah. And anger. Um, let's see. Oh, so Apple has a design, a design patent for a rectangle with rounded corners. And here's the thing: a lot of these companies that have patented these things have done so in a what they like they call them defensive patents. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the more famous ones. So, wasn't it Amazon that said they? I could be wrong about this, but you hear this a lot. Well, we the reason we patented this is because we want to own the patent, and we don't plan on we have no plan to use it other than defensively. Meaning, we patented it so that some bad actor couldn't patent it. And then go sue people. We're going to own the patents. We're going to add it to our patent library, and we'll we want everyone to be able to. We're, it's not because we don't want people to use it. It's because we don't want a bad person to go patent this. It's basically them saying we think software patents are bad, so we're going to patent all the things because we're good guys and we won't sue anyone for them. Hmm. There's another slightly different spin on that. I used to work for a company that was part of a duopoly, basically globally, and we were encouraged to write lots of silly patents. And the idea was that if the other one in the duopoly ever tried to raise a patent against us, we'd say, well, we patented a thousand things that you already do. So it's kind of mutually assured patent destruction is the idea. Oh, so they're just nukes. Yep. It's, yeah. the, it's an arms you race. You launch your nukes and we'll launch our yeah. nukes. When you hear about these, the, the yeah. companies that own, you know, what are the big patent holders? Like IBM, I'm sure, uh, Microsoft, massive patent holders. And so they make, what they do is you have this this massive cache of patents. And what you can do is you can form alliances with other companies who have massive numbers of patents. And you can just say, hey, we promise to never sue you for our patents if you never, if you promise to never sue us for our patent or for your patents. So a pact of non-aggression. Yeah. But if you're not, if you're not big enough to be a player in that pact, then 
you're vulnerable from everyone. Which obviously massively discourages investment. Because you have just such a risk. I hate the world sometimes. I know. This is a... Can we? Can someone end us on a uh, not such a downer topic? Yeah, let's talk about something else. <laughs> My big question for this, and we can't answer it here, is what sort of expertise can the patent office apply to try to sort through these? Something like this is very specific to a certain platform or certain technology. Like, how would they begin to have what they need to answer the question of whether this is patentable? So they, they have, I mean, they do employ, you know, obviously staff staff attorneys and um, and experts, but it's it's a government program and a government department, and they're, you know, they're limited on their resources. I think, I think they, to a large extent, they depend on um, other parties to argue against these patents. That's why I'm like, hey, if you have an argument against this patent, you know, you should, fi- you should file your a brief of some sort with the USPTO on on these patents. And I don't know what the defense, I don't know what, you know, allowable defenses are like. Maybe that it's just it's something that's in massive common use shouldn't be able to be patentable because it's uh it's too obvious is another is another defense. But people just sit around and don't they don't say anything and the in the patent office is just like, well, seems legit. <laughs> Then eventually it'll get uh, it'll get approved. Yeah, and maybe Financial Force is just saying, "Hey, we know." I mean, I haven't looked. I mean, how many patents does Financial Force own? Probably a lot, and they're probably filing these patents because they don't they don't want someone else to file them and then sue them for using a cubal in a batch. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you could you could as a company or as as an organization or as a technology organization reach a certain size where your lawyers are starting to say, "Hey, you need to start protecting yourself." And part of protecting yourself is to take some of these things that that you've done that are very specific to your technology or to your product and patent them so that someone else can't claim and sue you for them. Yep. So it could just be a defensive mecha- a defensive tactic. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I hope this is, but... And that's why I don't want to run a company. Yeah. <laughs> I just like being a developer. Well, All let's right. do a time check. I mean, I think we're, we're about ready to start wrapping this down. Is there... Let's open it up for any topic or comment or feedback or anything anybody else wants to say. Review on what we do, what we don't do, what we get wrong. Well, there was the, like... What was the other... There was... um. Things from the past episode you wish you could have commented on. Let's open it up for that. Oh, come on. We've gotten something wrong. Always. I mean, wh- where to start? I mean, Drunk John <laughs> exactly. himself is, is responsible for a lot of inaccuracies. <laughs> I appreciate the demise of the cork. As oh, as that wow. Was. The what? The demise of the cork. No more cork. Chuck really? appreciates it. Some people have said they like they oh, missed I know, the court. I know it's very controversial. Just so so is beer talk. Yeah. Uh, what what is the deal with the court? Does it hurt your ears? I think one thing I'm curious about is whether or not we've changed too much. Like when we first started, we were very raw. We were just talking about whatever we wanted, and there are times we feel like we're not that we're pandering, but that we we take the community's expectations into account a lot of times. And I wonder if that sometimes changes our content. And how the community feels about that. Huh. I'll give you a live review. 
one of the things that when I first started listening to you guys that I liked a lot that you did that no one else did is that you would talk about the financials of Salesforce in language that I understand. You're the one person. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> I just, I didn't really understand Salesforce as a business. I only really saw them for the technology. And you helped me start to think about like their business motivations, their strategies, their financial picture in a way that was really interesting. You know, that's interesting. One thing I want to do, so Salesforce just hit the... They're about to release financials oh, no, next week. No, they're, they are. The other, they're next Tuesday. I guess that's their... Would that be their... Oh, their, their fiscal quarter year starts in February, so it'd be... Q2. Yeah. Um, no, but they just... They surpassed their, the, their market cap, surpassed Oracle. Mm. And I thought about putting together an analysis of, like, Salesforce versus Oracle. Now that they're at the essentially equivalent market cap. I'd be interested in that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So maybe I'll do that. <clears throat> you better have the you can't do that with Salesforce pretty quick. <laughs> For when I do that? No, no, you can't do that with Oracle. We need that one. I don't have that. No, I do have this. You though. can't do this with Salesforce. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so financials, what else? I can't keep this beer in the glass. Spilled it again. You did it again? I what did. are you doing? I don't know. I give my guess I haven't opened any new Apple products in a while and cooed and odd about your new Apple stuff. Yeah, I mean I, I thought we did. Jeremy just got a new laptop. Yeah. And he finally loaded it up. Yep. Took a while. The fans I, still I dread, like crazy. I dread getting getting a new computer. It's not fun. Well, mainly for, because on this one I didn't want to What's the? I didn't want to use the migration assistant. I just wanted to start fresh. Yeah, and I've been reading a lot on the Apple, uh, Apple Silicone. I say it that way specifically because yeah. Jeremy has a problem with the way it. I say it. No, if you want to talk about boobs, that's fine. You can talk about boobs. <laughs> so Apple Silicone, um, because uh, I was hoping that next year they would release MacBook Pros with them, but now the rumor is it probably will be 2022 before they start yeah. releasing so uh, Apple Silicone. I feel like my, my MacBook Pros. My... Uh, Recent purchase of a Mac Pro has been vindicated. Yes. And it'll be a while. Sure, man. You could just lo log into Code Builder and start coding right away, and it doesn't matter what system you have. That's right. That could be on well, I am, I am considering buying the new uh, iPad Pro with all of its new fancy stuff that it's got going on and seeing if, uh, if I can get uh, the you, new Code you Builder. You already have a massive fancy iPad. Yeah, but I, no, I, that one's old. I need a new one. <laughs> It's not like my kids. I use that thing to the fullest. I use it for entertainment. I use it as a second screen. I use it. I use it every day. Okay, it's awesome. Um, can we? I, I wonder if is it possible for everyone just to like? Can we go through everyone and just have them um, say their name? Say my name. Yeah, I know. I don't know how to do that because everyone's in a weird. You know, like how do you do it in order without everyone talking over themselves? All right, everybody, on the count of three, everybody say their name. There you go. That's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> so one, two, three. No. Yeah. Mike. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cynthia? Like that? Are you just trying to figure out who is here for posterity? I, I guess, yeah, yeah. I could, I guess, read the names. I don't know if, I don't know if people want to know, have their names. Oh, yeah, around, we're recording this. I forgot. This is being recorded. Yeah. yeah. This is, this is actually, 
Should I be more formal then? Now, Michael, I know you. I know you were late, but this is a show. This is a podcast. <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> I thought, so I thought I this was private. Happy hour. Like, I'm not very I've heard all this stuff already. Yeah. <laughs> all those company secrets you spilled earlier. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, we'll edit those out in post. Don't worry. I do. I do kind of wish hindsight that I had some trivia because I think that would have gotten some engagement. So maybe next time we do this, I'll, I'll do some trivia. Trivia. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, guys and gals, thank you all for joining. This has been fun. We've had, I've noticed we've had people come and go during the, uh, during the uh, hour, hour and a half here. Um, as, as usual, dear listener, you should do what all these people have done and you should join our Slack channel if you're not in yet. John, how do you do that? I'm going to let John try to do it. How do you do that, John? Oh, you don't want me to do it. Okay. You go to our website, gooddayservepodcast.com. You click on community yeah. and you fill out the form and John will add you. Uh, we have an email address, info at gooddayservepodcast.com, where you can send us questions or show topics or complaints or sticker requests. I had another batch of stickers go out. So some of you have been waiting for a long time and maybe you had stickers in your mailbox this week. Maybe you didn't. If you didn't, let me know. If anyone's still waiting, let me know. Because I think that last batch was, I'm caught up. So I need some new, we still have, I don't know, some number of thousands of stickers. So, so everyone out there, if you, uh, if you would like a couple of stickers, send us an email at that address, which is info at gooddayserpodcast.com and send us your address and how many stickers you want. I can do about 20 into at a time, I've realized. So if you have like a user group or whatever and you want like up to 20, but if you just want a couple, that's fine. You know, um, what else, John? Reviews. Reviews you can review. Nice. If you want a good day, sir, mask. <laughs> just order stickers Talk to and Todd. put them on your mask. Talk to Todd. He'll print you one up. <laughs> um, and other than that, I think on the count of three, we should all t- collectively take us out. Oh, what do we think be, about that? That would be awesome. All right. I'd like that. I'm going to count us down. Are we ready, guys? Here we go. Three, two, one. And, and to, to that, 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 I say, I say good, good day, day sir. sir. You get nothing. You lose Good day, sir. That was horrible with the delay. I think it's going to come out. I think it's going to come out well, John. Jeremy will fix it in post. Yeah, exactly. Just it's, in case not. It's going to sound like the Vienna Boys Choir. I promise. Um. <laughs>